You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Yeah, doesn't that fire you up? Yeah, hey, I'm Dean. I'm the pastor at City Church. Watching that video, I'm like a Gator fan when jorts go on sale at Walmart level excited. I mean, just ready to go, fired up for what God's doing here. And again, we give God all the glory for it. We are dependent upon him. He started this church, we believe, in 2007, and he is the one that's given us this vision through the scriptures, through the Great Commission, as we'll see in a minute. But I'm just so thankful for all of you that God has brought to this church to carry out this vision of the Great Commission in Tallahassee from our church for the city, and to the world. I'm just curious, our church is 16 years old. How many of you came back when we were at Godby High School, came to City Church ever? Like, actually, we went to a service there. Awesome, thanks for tolerating the preaching and still being here, okay, thank you. Uh, how many of you were here when we were at the warehouse? The warehouse on Capitol Circle, okay? Some of you still here, awesome. How cool is that? 8.30, we had people for everyone as well. Uh, how many of you here when we were at Leon High School? The first time. How about the second time? because we got kicked out of the mall. Who was here at the mall? Awesome, how about Tharp Street? Who was here at Tharp Street when we merged the Forest Heights and became one church family out of two? And now those of you who are here now, I'm thankful that God has you here. And I hope you wanna be a part of a church that's alive, that has vision, that has purpose, that wants to do something with what it is that we believe. And I think it's incredible to think that we are at the halfway point of our Let's Go vision. And last year we had the chance to share this big vision of Let's Go with you, our church family. And I'm just so grateful to God for how he's moving in and through our church in Tallahassee and beyond. And Let's Go is actually happening. Let's Go doesn't start when the building starts to happen or when the land gets cleared. It's now. And I'm excited about what God's doing through baptisms, through people. You might hear those numbers and go, oh my gosh, numbers, numbers, numbers. We shared those numbers when we want to celebrate what God has done, but also because he tells us he'll lead the 99 to go find the one. So every single number that you saw on that screen is a person, a name and a face made in the image of God that God loves and sent his son to die for. So when you see us excited about the numbers, it means we're excited about people and what God is doing here. We have two, over 200 college students at the beach right now for our annual beach retreat. Isn't that amazing? That here in Tallahassee, our church has sent over 200 students. I went down yesterday, it was incredible. They're watching online. They've had speakers all weekend. They're watching online today before they head back. So I'm just really grateful. We're still in the book of Acts, but for the next five weeks, we're in a series called Let's Go that will pull from the original Let's Go, which is the book of Acts. But for the next 12 months and really beyond this, it will continue to be our focus to keep going from our church for the city and to the world. And if you're new here and wondering what is Let's Go, Let's Go is a two-year expression of our vision to be for the gospel and for the city, to expand our reach, the reach of God's love for people to be known in Tallahassee and beyond. And we're one year into the season, and we want to keep going and continue to go together. So we're going to celebrate some incredible work that God's been doing, that City Church has been doing by God's grace, that we've already accomplished by the Spirit of the Lord moving in this halfway point of Let's Go. And all this is because of what we've committed to do together. So I want to challenge each of you to commit to being here throughout the month of October. Try to make it a party to be here to celebrate this vision, to participate together, and join us for a vision night next Sunday. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday night in this building, and go all in as being part of Let's Go. And later in this month, we're hosting Baptism Sunday. Don't you love Baptism Sundays? October 29th, if you've never been baptized before as a believer by immersion, we'd love for you to sign up for that. And we'll have the opportunity to commit to taking this vision forward for the next year. Some of you for the first time will be doing it, being a part of this vision together, and I'm thankful for that. If it's your first time here, you might be thinking, oh no, I came on Money Sunday. 
No, you didn't. You came on Vision Sunday. So it's actually the perfect time to come here on your first day or your second time, third time to see what this church really is all about, who we are and who we're also striving to be as a church. I truly believe this. I really mean this. This is the best time you could possibly be joining us for a first time, second or third visit. It truly is a historic season for our church. And I am, as the pastor, grateful for all of you who have already committed. And if you haven't committed, or maybe you are just hearing about Let's Go for the first time, I want to challenge you to pray throughout the month of October and ask God how he might have you participate during this Let's Go series. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll dive into Acts chapter 21. If you're new here, we started in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, back in January. Just been working our way through it. And the big idea today from Acts 21 is that because we believe the gospel is true, So we actually believe Jesus is the Messiah, the one he claimed to be, that God loves us so much that he sent his only son, that there's nothing too demanding of God to ask of us when it comes to our faith. Because we believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection is true. There's nothing too demanding to ask of us when it comes to our faith. Let's pray together. Our God, we know that is true, that Jesus gave it all for us, the ultimate sacrifice of his life. I ask every person in this room that they'll just understand in this moment how loved they are by you. That your love for us will compel us to want to live our lives in response in worship of you. So I pray for this Let's Go vision. It's impossible without you. I pray for all the churches in Tallahassee. We'll all have a vision to take this good news from our churches, for our city, and to the world so people can know about who you are and what you've done. Lord, let our church be alive. Keep the enemy out of this place. We are dependent upon you once again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Chapter 21, verse 10. After we had been there for several days, this is Luke writing, chronicling what happened as the church was getting started, the original let's go, the church going forward. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, definitely a weird, awkward moment, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. It's like, oh, excuse me, Agabus the prophet. Here's what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, Luke is the we, talking to the people who were there, the believers, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul was on his way to take the gospel to the city of Jerusalem, and they're saying, did you hear what the guy said? Do not go there. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. If I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem, why? For the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, he had this resolve to keep going for Christ, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. That's not a Christian cliche. That is the posture of the Christian. We ultimately trust God's sovereignty and say, Lord, your will be done. So some context here. Context is king and always matters. This is a prophecy. Agabus the prophet comes and says, I have a word from the Holy Spirit. So what do we do if someone comes to us and says, I have a word from God? Do we automatically receive it right away and go, wow, God told them this, it must be true. No, we always test it first. We test it by the scriptures. Because just because someone claims they have a word from the Lord doesn't mean they have a word from the Lord. That includes the pastor of the church. Just because someone says they have a word from the Lord doesn't mean they have a word from the Lord. And we believe we have a word from the Lord for let's go. Not because we heard him whisper something out loud or had a dream in the middle of the night, even though, of course, God can do whatever he wants. I'm not going to say those things aren't real. God's going to talk any way he wants to. He's God. We are not. But we believe we have this vision from God because of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
the ambition, the massive ambition that Christ gives for his people, and he does it through the churches that are going to get established in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, back to the beginning. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. It's God dependent to carry out this great commission task. And he says, and here's what's going to happen with it. You will be my witnesses. You're going to be the heralds of good, this good news, the tellers, the messengers in Jerusalem, here at home, in all Judea and the region around us, in Samaria. And you're going to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. What a massive ambition. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. It's called the ascension. He ascended into heaven, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. They were probably shocked looking up. Their mouths dropped. And suddenly, two men in white clothes who were angels stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? As in, why are you just staring? Let's get rolling. Jesus told you what to do. Let's go. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. As in, one day he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. He's going to make all things new. So in the meantime, in between time, quit looking up and going, so what are we supposed to do, God? And go with this message into all the earth. And then we'll see churches get planted and established. And we want to carry out these words from Christ, not the words of us, the words of Christ from our church where we believe it happens first, for Tallahassee and to the rest of the world. But in this Acts chapter 21 story, something sticks out to me. And it's in verse 13, where after they plead with Paul not to go to Jerusalem, he says, for I'm ready not only to be bound, like who is willing to do this? I feel like my faith is so far from this. Like, I believe these things with all my heart. I really do believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I believe the Bible's true. But what a, what a response here. I'm not ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem. Why? Not randomly. For the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul just told them was that he is willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to go to Jerusalem because I believe God has commanded me to and people need to hear about Jesus there. I'm going to go at all costs. See, there's a cost to following Jesus. Like, even if that prophecy from Agabus was true, it doesn't mean that I should stay away simply because of safety and comfort. He was willing to do whatever it took to redeem his people, Jesus was. It cost him his life the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate cost. And now the believers are being called to do whatever it takes to follow him. Salvation is free. There's nothing that we contribute to our salvation outside of the sin that makes it necessary. It is by grace we are saved through faith. It's not by works, so no one can boast. Salvation is 100% free. It costs Jesus everything. It costs us nothing. But following Jesus is not cheap. And it costs us everything. Jesus said this in Matthew 8. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, you think he'd love that big, huge crowd, people everywhere, thousands of people. He gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. He's about to cut the crowd in half. Even more than that, and say, who's with me and who's not? A scribe approached him, one with great spiritual knowledge, that would mean as a scribe, and said, teacher, I will go, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you anywhere. I believe you're the one you claim to be. And Jesus told him, hey, man, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man, a term Jesus used to refer to himself, 
has no place to lay his head. Now, some try to make this a social justice passage about homelessness and claim that Jesus was homeless. That's not what this is about. This is Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, welcome to a life of spiritual homelessness, of living in a world that really isn't your home, and also welcome to a world of truly costly sacrifice, because following me is never cheap. Make sure you know what you're signing up for, is what Jesus is telling him. And I think it's cultural Christianity, that nominal Christianity that says, yes, I'm a Christian, but by that you just mean you're not an atheist, you're not Muslim, you're not Jewish, that kind of, I say a prayer before dinner on holidays, that kind of middle kind of Christianity, like I like Jesus, but not so much where it messes with things. As that keeps dying in our culture, which it is, what I call the murky middle is going to keep disappearing. Either you're going to follow Christ in our increasingly hostile culture, or you're not. And let's go, this vision really is a call away from that. It's a call away from that. Careful what you're signing up for, is what Jesus is saying. In a much more first world, lighter version of this, I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan. And I'm a Cubs fan because I would come home in the afternoons when I was a kid, 80s and 90s, and the only thing on TV at 3 o'clock was Chicago Cubs baseball. So once I, and all my friends were Braves fans, so I had to be contrarian, so I was into that, and they all watched TBS, and I would watch WGN. So my dad sits me down about three months into being all in for the Cubs, and he goes, hey, just as your dad, I need to tell you something. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. He said, I'm a little worried about this whole Cubs thing. I said, why? He says, because you're going to be disappointed every single year. And this last demise of the past month and the Cubs completely collapsed. I can see my dad's prophecy is still ringing true. Maybe he's an Agabus. But here's the whole thing. Careful what you're signing up for. I played high school football at Leon, who's 5-0, by the way. And I just want to get that out there again. And I remember the first day of freshman football, like not exaggerating, there'd be between 90 and 100 people, freshmen, who came out for football. Like that many people. And we'd be in t-shirts and shorts, and everybody's like, you know, running around, running around. And then something happened after a few days in shorts. We got in full pads. The day after our first day of full pads, where you're hitting, tackling, it hurts, it's hard, we were down to about 50, maybe even 40 guys. Nothing wrong with saying it's not for me. But what was going on? A lot of the kids liked the idea of football. I thought they could live out their Madden dreams, video games. They like the idea of football rather than actually playing tackle football. He's saying, be careful what you're signing up for. How easy is it to like the idea of Jesus, but not actually want to follow Jesus when it costs something? John Piper, who's an author and writer, I'll, I'll quote him several times in this talk today says this, when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus, that's what happens. He gives us salvation. He saves us from our sins, and we enter a relationship with God. We're kind of a part of his family. We come by experiencing, Piper writes, a change in our hearts. Not just a new hobby, which Christianity makes for a lousy hobby. Not some kind of moral compass. We don't inherit some kind of divine Santa Claus or Yoda-type figure. When we trust in Jesus, our hearts change. Piper adds, and that change is, what we tr is that we treasure Jesus more than anything else in life. He doesn't say we can't enjoy other things in life, but that we treasure Jesus now more than anything else in life. And I think, personally, that only happens when we realize how much Jesus treasures us.
I'm not going to treasure Jesus above anything else in life unless I actually really believe that Jesus treasures me. And how much does he treasure me? No greater love than someone lays down his life for his friend. He calls me friend. And he calls you friend. Please know that you are treasured by Christ. You're called his bride. His bride. It's also important to know that Jesus loves his bride more than he loves anyone else. That might sound controversial because we've let Hallmark kind of understanding of, of, of American Christianity shape our theology. Does God love all people? Absolutely. But married guys in the room, do you love everyone else as much as you love your bride? You're called to love all people. All people, period. All people. There's a different kind of relational love that you have for the person that you're in a covenant with until death do you part. What kind of love does God have for the church, for his people, for Christians, for those he has redeemed? The closest earthly example he gives us is the love that a husband and a wife share together. We're called his bride and he is our groom. How deep the father's love for us. It's an amazing love. You are treasured by Christ. Paul's story. If anyone knew this, it was Paul. What would make Paul have verse 13? I'm willing to go and be bound, even to die for Christ. It was his own story. Paul called himself a chief of sinners. He, before his conversion, he was like a professional persecutor of Christians, like the bad of the bad. And God saved him, not only saved him, but then sent him, like he does every Christian, but gave Paul a specific ministry to go keep taking this gospel to the ends of the earth and starting churches. So he goes from being called the chief of sinners to now Acts chapter 21, verse 13, for I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was Paul a perfect Christian? No. But he treasured Jesus above anything else because he knew how much Jesus treasured him. He wrote this to the Corinthians. For the love of Christ compels us. That's what, draws, that's what drives us. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not pressure. It's the love of Christ that drives us. We're responding to his love and worship. Since we have reached this conclusion, Christians are a conclusion-drawing people. That one died for all, that being Jesus, and therefore all died. Because he died, now we die to us. And he died for all. So those who live, that's the rest of us, should no longer live for themselves. Yes, he gave us salvation. Yes, he gave us freedom from sin. But he reorients our lives around what matters the most, and it's not us. He doesn't say just don't live for yourself. That wouldn't be very helpful. He says instead, live for the one who died for them and was raised. Instead, we live for Jesus. And it's not legalistic. It's our joy, even when it's difficult, because we remind ourselves over and over again that it's his love that compels us. But most likely, when we read this text, I know when I was preparing for it, I was thinking, you know, few, few if any, likely none, will physically die for Jesus. Those of us in this room. We're all going to die. The mortality rate's 100% last time I checked. But few, if any, will actually die as a martyr for Christ. So in Tallahassee, the challenge is not creating the kind of faith people will die for Jesus. Because that situation, 
might never happen. Lord willing, it doesn't. But actually living a life for Jesus that costs us something. It's not getting people to die for Christ, because we're in a, thankfully we have freedoms here, and we don't want to take those for granted, but live for Christ. In a way, it's not just checking a box, but that actually costs us something. Jesus said, that's the Christian life. Not us, but you. Abandoning our lives, picking up our cross and saying, Jesus, I'm all in with you. Calling people to count the cost means calling for really a true estimate of the worth of Jesus Christ. Like, what does Jesus actually mean in your life? Like, to actually count that cost and act accordingly. So how we think about that is, since you started following Jesus, or claim to be a Christian, what's changed in your life? What's changed? Your priorities? Your habits? How you handle your dating life? Your finances, your dependence on God, has that changed? Your church commitment, your generous giving to the church, like, have these things changed since you started following Jesus? Jesus said this, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? There's been a lot of those meetings around here because of Let's Go. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. It's pretty embarrassing. Or what king? Going to war against another king. Will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I said, no way. I'm counting the numbers. We can't match up. In the same way, Therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus, in these words, are not calling everyone to go have a yard sale tomorrow. But compared to him, we renounce all that's ours. Paul said in Philippians 3.8 that nothing can compare to the greatness of knowing Jesus as Lord. So when you get further down the road, later in your Christian life, or maybe early in your Christian life, but as you progress as a believer, that nothing's going to surprise you because you've already agreed to the highest, most excessive cost. So in the unfinished tower understanding, you're already calculating how much that tower is going to cost, so you're not shocked when it comes back. You're not shocked that they have 20,000 and you only have 10,000. You've already calculated these things. So you don't need to know the specifics of what Jesus is asking you early on because your agreement that you figuratively sign when you follow Christ is, I'm yours at any cost. Open hands. David Platt calls it a blank check of our lives. Here, on the table. Do what you have with me. That's Christian conversion. Jesus is saying we do not need unfinished towers. Those who count the cost. Because that's what he demands, and that's what he desires, and that's what he deserves. I spoke at the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis this past week, and I brought our student director, Jake Axon, who leads our middle school and high school ministry with me. And Jake is a really big John Piper fan. Uh, John Piper, I quoted him earlier a couple times in this, in this sermon today. He's an author and pastor. He's had a huge influence on my generation, on younger people. Like, he's just very reputable, like, very, very, just very admired by a lot of people. And Jake's like a total fanboy of John Piper. It'd be like if I saw Tom Brady. So we go to the conference and we're at a dinner and John Piper's at the dinner. 
And you thought, I think Jake wet his pants four times. That's not inappropriate, but I, I think he did. So, 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 so there, I'm like, there, so Jake goes over to him, introduces himself. He thinks very kind, thanks him for all he's done, you know, through his books and his ministry, how much it's influenced him, asks for a selfie, of course. And he tells, he starts t- talking to Piper. Piper's like, hey, so what do you do? What's your ministry role? He said, I work with middle school and high school students. Here's John Piper, who's very passionate. He's in his 70s. And he looks at Jake. He goes, middle school and high school? Yes, sir. Tell them it's worth it. It's worth it. Following Jesus. It's worth it. That was his message. That's what he wanted Jake to come back and tell teenagers. That following Jesus is worth it. Jesus said this, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous in a parable he told. Now there he's not saying that God owes us anything for following him, that we will actually receive our inheritance and our reward. And what is our inheritance and what is our reward? It's Jesus. He is our reward. Piper says, there's no cost that you can pay in following me, was what Jesus is saying here, that won't be made up to you a thousandfold in the resurrection. As in, it's worth it. We need to remember Matthew 13, 44, which says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. A man sees and sells everything he has to get that field because there's a treasure there. In other words, all the so-called costs and all the so-called losts are nothing compared to the gains of having Jesus as our greatest treasure. But what does first world cost look like? It's kind of hard to write a sermon about the cost of following Christ when, again, we're not in prison for our faith, and and I'm thankful we're not. But if you're talking to believers in China or in North Korea, and they're going, yeah, I mean, this is our reality. Like, we're in jail. We've lost family members. We've lost our jobs. We've been beaten. It's like, goodness gracious. How does that even translate to us here? So what's first world cost? It's the same gospel, the same Jesus, the same message, the same call against unfinished towers. And I started thinking about that, and I wrote some of these things down. Jesus, you are worth me being labeled. I was trying to think about us. Jesus, you are worth me being misunderstood. You are worth me being left out of plans because I'm a Christian and what they're going to be doing is not going to match up with how I live my life and they don't want me there because it's going to make them feel guilty. Just my presence, whatever it be, whatever you deal with. Jesus, you're worth an hour on Sunday morning. Jesus, you're worth my first and best financial gift regularly. Jesus, you are worth sticking it out and making our marriage work. Jesus, you are worth humbling myself and asking for help. You're worth it. You're worth putting your yes on the table for whatever it has, whatever you have for me in my life. Paul said he's literally worthy of my life, that I'm going to Jerusalem. How do I know your word is not from the Lord? You're telling me the opposite of that to stay behind. 
The first world is more, you're telling me that God just wants me to be happy, right? You're telling me you don't have to go to church in order to follow Jesus and live the Christian life. And we must say that's unfinished tower thinking. Jesus wants you to have joy in the greatest treasure, which is Christ. So let the way he treasures us, Romans 2 says, let his kindness lead us to repentance. To turn away from an unfinished tower of life and say, Jesus, whatever it is you have for me. I really do hope you're excited about this vision series and the vision of Let's Go. And I'm well aware the vision is huge and it really does only happen when we all go in together. We believe that God has given us a vision. Everything we do, from planting churches to missions overseas to next generation ministry to doubling our children's space, all the things that we need to do, again, two years total, everything that is City Church that includes $21 million over two years. I saw Nebraska football is building a new stadium for $450,000. Sorry, $450 million. That'd be awesome. $450 million. And what's everybody doing? They're celebrating. Like, how great is that? You know, Florida State's going to start a big construction project on their stadium. Huge, millions, millions of dollars. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. For six home games a year. Incredible. Oh, my gosh. We're going to keep up with the SEC, you know, those kind of things. I thought, that's fine. $21 million over two years for the Great Commission, the mission of the church to the ends of the earth, and to reach the next generation. In my opinion, it's worth every penny. It's at this halfway point. We're praying the people of City Church will continue to make a $12.5 million investment into this vision. Our goal for Let's Go is 100% participation from everyone who calls City Church their home. So we're going to be asking everyone to participate on Commitment Sunday on October 29th. It'll be a normal service, but we're going to ask for a commitment. If you, have a commitment, if you made a commitment last October, you'll have the opportunity to reaffirm your commitment. We need to, finish, we need to finish the, go across the finish line of this next year. Some of you may even feel God calling you to increase your commitment because you know you could do more, perhaps, and you'll have an opportunity to do that. And some of you will be making a commitment for the first time, which is fantastic. So today I just have one ask. And that is, would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Would you make a commitment to make a commitment? So I believe everyone in this room will continue to play a role in moving us forward to get to the best place we can be. So would you put your participation in this project in prayer before the Lord and ask God what he wants you to do and then do it? And with your life open-handed saying, let's go. I want to be a part of a church that was the church that welcomed me into this building. I want to be a part of a church that's alive. I want to be a church that has a white-hot vision to go and take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to be part of a church that has over 200 college students right now at a beach retreat. And at a church plant meeting in London. They meet on Saturdays right now because of space and issues with facility. They're meeting there and it's growing every week, adding members, seeing baptisms. I want to be a part of that. And here's what's awesome by God's grace. We are a part of that. So let's keep going and saying, Jesus, there's nothing you can ask of me that's too extravagant because of what you have done for me. How amazing is it to know that the creator of the universe sees us as a treasure? Incredible. How great to be called the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Our God, we are so thankful for your grace, for your love for us, for your mercy, that we can be counted as your people, 
that the special love you have for your church, for your bride, is one we'll never fully be able to comprehend this side of heaven. But we know that you are with us, that you care for us, that you call us your own. So I ask that we will not be unfinished towers. We will count the cost. And we will think that following you is worth all of it. And even the times where it just seems like a lot or we're begrudging about it, that we will remember that you gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. Not of anything we have done, but because of your mercy and your grace and your love. So Lord, since you died for us, my ask is that all of us will live for you. And that's what we ask all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.